Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. This is episode number 131, July 2020. In response to the COVID-19 outbreak that has silenced many of the theaters worldwide, On Stage, Off Stage will, for the near future, be presenting plays that were scheduled for performance but have either been postponed or canceled. We'd really hate to see these works lose their exposure, so since we have a safe outlet, we're doing what we can to help out. This month, we are featuring a play called White Dress. The playwright is Laura Shamus, and we will have a short interview with her following the play reading. Before we begin, we hope that all of you are staying healthy, playing it safe, and despite the reopenings in some places, staying inside unless absolutely necessary and wearing protective masks when you venture out. Please remember, this is not just about your life, but of those within your breathing space as well. This virus has no mercy whatsoever. So please, for the sake of your family, friends, and neighbors, wear your masks, maintain a safe distance, and reduce your public exposure to only what is necessary. We can beat this thing, but only if we keep in mind that it's all about taking care of each other. Okay? So, all right, let's get going with our play reading. White Dress by Laura Shamus will be read by Susie Easter as Terry, Mike Davey as Ben, and featuring Ithaca acting legend Milo Bohack, who will be reading the stage directions. Lights up on a single park bench. Terry, in a large Victorian wedding dress, sits crying, holding a cell phone. She dabs her eyes with the bottom corners of the dress. Ben stands near her with a camera with a long lens around his neck. A camera case and equipment is on the ground. Oh, no. It, it's just... I need that specific bench. And I'm under a deadline. I'm sorry. I, I truly am. I, I feel terrible about this. I really do. Are you kidding me? No. Can't you see? I'm in a bad way here. I'm having a panic attack. A bridal panic attack. Yes, I, I can see that. I'm... I'm sorry, but I have to get this now. It's it's my fault, really. I screwed around, and they won't let me move the deadline anymore. So, so if you just stand up and move about three feet that way, I'll, I'll do it fast, and then I, I'll leave you alone. I promise. I can see you need some space. Oh, great. They're tracking me already. You're not going to answer that? No. Well, maybe they could help you. I mean, you shouldn't be here by yourself. It's my maid of honor. Oh, so you're about to get married? No, I'm dressed like the Bride of Frankenstein for Halloween. Mary Beth, I'm not coming back. Don't worry, I'm not jumping off a bridge. What? I'm hanging up, love you. It's none of my business, but are you sure you're doing the right thing? Maybe you can work it out. You just want me to stand up so you can take a picture of the damn bench. What's this for, anyway? Your big deadline? I've got a book deal. It's a coffee table photo book of all the benches in the park. A, a meditation on the park bench. Sort of a, a meditation on a mode of meditation. Meta-conceptual. Exactly. What's the working title? <clears throat> the Bench Life of a Major Park. Weak. Gotta be sexy if you want it to sell. 
you need some witty, pithy pun in front, like where your bums rest, or the derriere effect, or bottoms down, or benching the new path to thinking, or something cleaner altogether, like just sitting. Simple, no subheader, just sitting. Are you an editor? No, no, but I love parks. When I was a kid, benches were the one thing that signaled to me I was in a park. If there was an open green area but no benches, I knew it wasn't a real park. I would just sit and read. Hey, um, I'll buy your book. They want you back to the ceremony. Oh, yeah. The groom is not even bothering to come find me. Interesting, right? I hope my parents can forgive me. So far, only my sister, she's the maid of honor, has dared to call. She's been designated the negotiator. The groom? Not even a text. <laughs> Bridezilla's Negotiator, a new reality series coming soon. Damn, they've tracked my location and the phone via GPS. Oh, the groom is such a tech nerd. That's probably why they keep calling. He's able to electronically track you? Yeah. He thinks he's so charming that he can grovel for my forgiveness in person and I'll fall for it. He'll come dashing through the park in his tux like Prince Charming begging my forgiveness and promising me a life full of everything I want, etc. But he isn't a Prince Charming. He's a Prince Harming. He isn't what you want. No. You're sure? Yes. So, what's your plan? Go, go ahead, take the damn bench photos while I think. I'm starting to get sunburned there anyway. Thanks. He starts positioning and snapping photos. What's your name? Why? I, I named some of the benches. For flair, you know? Uh, Terry. Short for Teresa. Okay. This will be Terry's bench. In the book. <sighs> no, no. Have I taught you nothing? You have to sex it up. Call it the runaway bride bench or the hunted bench of the Victorian bride, uh, the fake virgin's last bench. Don't you want this book to sell? You're probably right. A wedding is just an expensive fantasy staged to make a woman look like a virgin for a day. This whole thing about a white wedding dress it is so ridiculous. Like Every bride who wears one is supposed to be untouched. Her sexual history is magically erased for one special day. By putting on this dress, she's revirginated. So 19th century. And absolutely nothing is worn to indicate the man's sexual history in his tux or suit. Yeah, I photographed a few weddings in my time. I, I know what you mean. I wish I could just stay here on that bench. I really need somewhere to think. The word bench comes from the Old English bank. It was a, a place of honor. That's why judges use them. That's in the forward to my book. Well, I'm done. Thanks. Uh, you can have the bench back. Oh, shit. They're, they're doing a satellite search in the park for a long white dress. Oh, my God. Did he launch a drone? Whoa. Big brother. So what's your plan? I still don't have a plan gotta have a plan. I need more time. I don't want to go back to him. That would be the biggest mistake of my life. Look, I'm not married, but I've heard that if you ever get an impulse like that on your wedding day, you should trust it. I have an idea. Please help. What? You, me, switch clothes. Are, are you serious? 
they're after the dress. They can see it via the drone, but not your clothes. Look, you, you got your bench photos. I, I can't escape naked. I can't run around here in a white wedding dress. Have you ever worn a wedding dress before? No. You might like it. What's your name? Ben. Is he really that bad? I mean, what, what did he do? He's bad. Does it matter? I'm begging you, Ben. Where am I supposed to go in a white wedding dress? Hey, it's the park. There's carnival stuff like this all around. You'll fit in with the street performers and, and puppeteers. Find something to juggle. This kind of unique, amazing life opportunity happens only once in a blue moon. Embrace it. Look, I, I want to help, but... We but don't have if... much time. You're close? Terry goes behind the bench and takes off her skirt. Come on, Ben. I gave her the bench and a few book titles. Fair trade. Shit. She hands her skirt to Ben. Hurry up, please. I can't believe I'm doing this. Ben puts it on and trades her his pants. Terry puts them on. She whips off her top. She has a tank camisole underneath. She hands him the overblouse. Ben gives her his shirt. Ben smooths down the dress material. They have switched clothes. Terry has on flats, not heels. They each keep their own shoes. Ben looks quite the sight in that dress. You are my knight in shining satin. How will I get my clothes back? I mean, after you're done with them? I mean, you know, in the future... Uh, who's your publisher? Noth. And don't you want your dress back? No, I don't want that dress back. But hey, I have an art direction idea. You should come back after you get some of your real clothes from home and take a shot of the wedding dress draped over the bench for your book's cover shot. Go. Go. Not fine. I'll send your stuff there. CO Ben, who's writing the coffee table park bench book. Thanks. You're a true friend. I'm leaving the cell on the bench so they can track that. If I had more time, I'd take your picture. You really look great there. I owe you. I'll never forget this. My last name is Webster, okay? I can't believe this. I'm going to give you a head start in your direction, and then I'll start walking to my car and hopefully get away before they catch me. Perfect. You may now kiss the bride. Thank you. Go. Go. Terry pecks him on the cheek and exit. Ben sits on the bench for a second. He arranges the dress. The cell phone rings, rings, and rings. He stands up, deciding how he's going to walk. He grabs his camera and exits toward the opposite direction from Terry, leaving the ringing phone on the bench. He turns and takes one last photo. He smiles. End of play. That was the play White Dress by Laura Shamus, with Susie Easter playing Terry and Mike Davey as Ben. Ithaca acting legend Milo Bohack read the stage directions. Laura was kind enough to give us a few minutes of her time to talk about the play, which had been accepted for production, and like so many other plays these days, subsequently postponed. It was going to be produced in May 2020 at um, the Complete Theatre Company in New York, and I think they've said it's postponed, but I, I'm, you know, I'm very concerned that for all of theater, how we're going to get up and running again anytime soon. Um, with COVID-19 around yeah. us. So I, I really don't know what the, the future status is right now. But that's when it was supposed to be done. It was supposed to be done May in starting on May 9th in, yeah. uh, in New York. 
I think that's the big worry for everybody right now is that since we can't get together in close proximity, which is really what theater is all about, people are now exploring all sorts of you know, alternatives for this to, I've, I've seen pictures of theaters that have had 60% of the seats taken out. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, well, yeah, it's a real issue because theater is so important in terms of building community. And anytime you have a play, you build a temporary community right there and then. And uh, for each audience, that's how I think of it. And um, so to not be able to gather like that, to experience something together, um, it's it's a real issue. I'm very, very concerned about it. I think about it a lot. And I think theater is important. The, the community building aspect of theater is important. So oh. I just hope we can get back to it. I have a feeling we will. It's uh, Theater has been around for a couple of thousand years and people have always wondered, is it going to survive? Because it is so intensive. You know, you, you have to go there. You have to get dressed. You have to do things in order to go there and you can't pause it. Right. It's, it's it's a completely different animal than what we're, we're used to today. So everybody's always wondering if it's going to continue. But I figure since it's lasted through pandemics before and wars and natural disasters and cultural distractions, yeah, this is going to be something else that, you know, it's going to survive. But the question is, how will it survive? Right. I think it will survive, too. But I think it'll it's going to be different and I, I mean, I'm trying to think of the actors, too. Like, when is it safe for them on stage, you know, with each other? Exactly. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It's, I've been part of a couple of online discussions over the past couple of months act, talking about this very same question. And right now, the theaters are going to stay closed because we have no other choice. We don't want people to get sick. Mm -hmm. But... Zoom has come in now. We're doing everything online. So in one sense, it looks like, you know, it, plays are being produced by the same folks who did Hollywood Squares or the intro to the Brady Bunch. <laughs> uh-huh. You know? have, have you had anything produced that way yet? Well, I had my first Zoom reading on Sunday with Spooky Action Theater of D.C. They're reading my play Circular, and I'm, I'm really excited to see it. Um, but I've been watching some Zoom readings, and... Um, you know, can be very creative, but it's definitely challenging. But it's just not the same as sitting in a theater. It's just not. So um, I'm sure. appreciative of the opportunities, though, and I'm glad that theaters have a way to keep going during the pandemic like that. I, yeah, it's everything changes. And I think we forget that we get comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been doing this whole theater, everybody, you know, arguing for armrests for an hour and a half while trying to pay attention to what's going on stage for, I don't know, hundreds of years. And now, all of a sudden, that's been taken away from us. So we're forced into evolving, and it's going to be a very interesting experiment over the next couple of years to see how theater does survive and in what form. I mean, will it change the way we write? Will it change the way we produce? It's going to be interesting. Yes, it, it, it is. It's already um, interesting and fascinating. And I just feel for all all theater goers and all theater makers. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, could you write for Zoom? Have you thought about that? I think we could all write for Zoom. It's different, though. Um, uh, yes. And I think that most playwrights could. 
the question is, you know, how, how much do you want to? Um, it's just a very different thing, I think, what makes something theatrical on Zoom versus a movie versus <laughs> live theater. So, um, yes, I could. And I think maybe you could too, George. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's just different, though. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, I think it'll challenge us. I, I, I have to look at this like a challenge, like a positive, like somebody's throwing, you know, a, a, a gauntlet on the table going, okay, this is what you have to do from now on. Let's see how well you can do it. Um, uh-huh. Because really, we don't have too many other choices. We're not going to stop writing. We're writers. Right. Writers, right. Yeah. <laughs> writers, right. You got that right. Um <laughs> So let's 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 get down to the subject of, of this whole thing. White dress. We loved that play. As soon as we saw that came in, we were just like, okay, we've got to have this. Um, oh, I'm so glad. And it's it's a lovely little moment that goes, at least in my estimation, goes exactly where it should, quite naturally, without any kind of contrivance. It's beautiful. Um, oh my gosh! Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Where did this come from? I mean, where did this idea stem from? Did something happen? Did this did this happen to you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I just had always wanted to see. I mean, I hate to talk about it too much, but it is. You won't be able to see it on the radio, but or on a podcast. But the visual that happens in it was just something I'd always wanted to see on stage. I just had never seen that happen on stage. So when, uh, you know, something happens between the two of them related to a white dress. And um, so that's where the idea, the idea came from for me. I just thought, gosh, I'd really like to see how that could work on stage. And I wrote it for a benefit. Um, it was a 10 minute show that was written for a benefit that was done one night in New York. And, they built the dress for it and everything, and um, and I never got to go see it. So then I just started thinking, well, why don't I try and send it out? And so um, I, it's, I submitted it to Group Rep in 2018, and they did a beautiful production of it. They do annual one acts every year, and it ran for a month with their other one acts, you know, all together. And it, it was... I just loved the production that they did of it. it. They they really, my friend Jules Aaron directed it and the actors who were in it were just fantastic. The two actors and um, Nick and Savannah. And anyway, they were just really, they did a beautiful job of it. And I appreciated their efforts very, very much. It really made me feel like, oh, I think this works. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm not, you know, you're never sure until um, you see it with an audience a few times. But um they just did a beautiful job. So um, anyway, yes, that's that's where it came from. Just wanting to see that thing happen on stage that I'd never seen before um, and have it be seen, the gesture of what they do be seen as a sense of empowerment, too. That was something else that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's It was nice because she's a very, very strong character. Well, good. Yeah, and it's her decision making, even on the spot, even in such a, you know, a situation where, gosh knows how many other people would have said, "Oh, I got to go through the wedding. What am I doing?" Yeah, you know, uh-huh, she breaks. Uh-huh. She makes the break and she runs and she keeps right. running, and right. that's wonderful. So you know, more power to her. Well, um, good. Thank 
thank you. I mean, yeah, she's a woman of action, you know, in the end. And that that's, I love that too about yeah. her. Yeah. 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 But um, no, I never ran away I from a wedding or anything like that. Um, it's not based on anything about me, but. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, one, of, one of the questions we had when we were doing this was they, they like the characters so much. And of course, it's it's left wide open. I mean, she's going to return his clothes. Have you thought about writing a sequel to this? It's a terrible question. No, but. it's not. It's such a nice question. You know, I honestly, I never really have. But I mean, I, I maybe I should entertain that thought. I mean, they certainly could have a different kind of meeting the next time. So, you know, <laughs> um, after they've gone through all this. Yeah. And I do. And I do leave it open. No, you know, you, she's going to, you know, there's going to be some point of contact. Later. Yeah, well, yeah. we hope so. Yes. Yeah, you hope so. Right. We, yes. Thank you. Um, and I really like his character too. I mean, um, his, his caring, I think he's a caring character Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and in, he's so empathetic and, um, as well. Um, so I, I, I I think they're both just, you know, I like plays where they start in the middle of action. And that's mm -hmm. what I would say is going on between these two is they're already in a moment when the show begins. Oh, and that is the best place to start. Yes. And media res. That's what I always say. Um, but it's hard to do. And so I don't, I often miss the boat myself, but um, well, I, I do think this play does. So that's, that's one thing I, I like about the two of them is they're already, they're already involved when the show starts. Yeah. Uh, over that bench. So it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I mean, I know from teaching, and you mentioned that you taught earlier. I know from my own playwriting teaching, when I've had to discuss drafts with, you know, first-time playwrights, and they say, but I wanted to tell the whole story. Mm -hmm. And I have to sit them down and I say, no, nobody wants to see the whole story. All anybody wants to see is the pet, the last five minutes of this very long story, mm -hmm. because that's where the action is. That's why this day is different than every other day. And when I say the last five minutes, I just mean like the last 5%, you know, right. something, something's already happened and we're dealing with it. Right. And you know, it's, it's so true. I mean, I work with my own scenes trying to cut from the top and the end every time I write them for that reason, for the reason you just said, like how, how close to the kernel of action can I get the scene? Um, every, every time I, yeah. I, I sometimes miss that mark, but that's what I'm trying to do um, with it, whether it's physical action, psychological action, I mean, spiritual action. Um, it's, there's just a, a way that to me, it's more interesting when a scene is a, has that going for it. Yeah. It, it, cause you're immediately drawn in and it's so mm -hmm. hard to, to get that right sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's, it's fairly obvious. You just know where it's going to start. But <laughs> other times it's just where, okay, where do I, where do I set this? Where, do, what point of the action do I bring this in? And, you know, I've always been thankful for rehearsals and I've always been thankful for readings and I've always been thankful for the, you know, the comments of my colleagues to say, you know, this could have been done this way, or I was looking for it that way, or it seemed right to go this way. And for me, theater is always collaborative. So that's part of the bonus 
And of course, seeing it on stage too, you know, it's, it's completely different than actually knowing everything about what's on the page. You come out of your world and you see it for real. Yes, I agree. I mean, my favorite, my favorite times are rehearsals too. And, um, but my favorite time is always the final dress rehearsal before the audience comes in for previews. I just always feel like the play is still in its incubation then, but it's ready yeah. to go. Oh, so sure. Yeah. I always enjoy that moment a lot because it's like, okay, this is it. This is it. Mm -hmm. I, hope, I hope everyone likes it or gets stuff from it or, you know, experiences it in a way they think is worthwhile. Um, but that's, that's, you know, once the audience starts coming in, then rightly so our focus is on them. And so um, it becomes a different, a different game at that point for me, just trying to watch the house, watch the audience. Yeah. What are they, what are they laughing at? What are they, um, you know, if there's something sad in it, are they there with it? You know, that kind are of Are they thing. awake? <laughs> yes. Listen, I could tell some stories about stuff I've seen in audiences. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, uh, I <laughs> show in Edinburgh at, um, that was part of the Fringe Festival. And, um, I, and I, I mean, I've had a few, but my very first one, um, I saw a woman dump a bottle of perfume onto a guy because uh, she didn't like the way she, that he, I guess the way that he smelled or something, or maybe they were having some kind of argument. I'm really not sure, but I saw this cloud of perfume just uh, in the back row, just go up over through the audience and people coughed and coughed and coughed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that was a terrible thing. Playwriting oh moment for me. Um, uh, <laughs> but, that's I mean, awful. Well, I mean, you know, audiences are, are interesting. I That's why yeah. I like to watch them. <laughs> yeah, I, I do, too. I, I, I like to see who's paying attention, who's not. Mm -hmm. And people have asked me, I'm sitting in the back row. They said, oh, you're a critic. I said, I'm the worst one. I'm a playwright. <laughs> it's so true, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, um, most playwrights I know like to sit in the back because you can feel more anonymous there and feel like, well, I can sort of see what people are doing, you know. And, but you just get the best view of the whole thing back there, too, in my Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's better than sitting in the front row intently watching everything they're doing on stage. Yes, and making all the performers uh, nervous. Oh, no, uh, the playwright's in the front row. Oh, no! Yes, I know. Let's yeah, let's let's have the playwright sent to somewhere else for the rest of the run. <laughs> um, so how long have you been writing? Oh, my first play was published in 1980. Hey, um, wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. It's called The Other Shakespeare. It's still in print. And I adapted Virginia Woolf's part of uh, four pages from, from A Room of One's Own by Virginia Woolf about mm -hmm. what Shakespeare's sister, if he'd had an equally talented sister, what her life would have been like. So nice. I wrote that in college. Uh, and then it was I got very lucky it was published um, pretty pretty soon after I graduated. So... Okay. Um, so that's what I say. I say I've been writing. Really, I've been writing my whole life. But you know, <laughs> yeah, starting plays and professional plays. I would say 1980. So a long okay. time. It's a long you've, time. You've been doing this for a little while. Yeah. Yes, I have. Yeah. So how are you keeping busy now? Now that everything's been COVID curtailed and things have changed so much. Um, how are you keeping busy theatrically? Are you involved with any theaters? What's, you know? 
what what's how, how are you managing to to keep going? Well, I'm fortunate I'm involved with a couple of theaters who have regular Zoom meetings to check in on um, playwrights who are affiliated with them. I'm part of the Associated Playwrights of Native Voices, Native Voices at the Autry in Los Angeles, and also Alter Theater, which is really alternative theater in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been on a couple of Zoom calls, you know, with the ensemble, with them, right. and um I have, those have meant the world to me. In fact, I almost cry after the end of all of them because it's just so great to see people. You know, it's just so wonderful to see artists you care about and admire and see what they're doing and how they're doing. And I've really appreciated the efforts of both those theaters to keep in touch with people during the pandemic in that way. And I think I mentioned to you that I also have a commission with a, a DC theater, a transformation theater, which I'm not talking about what's in the commission, but... Um, they've also been really good about checking in with me and Zoom calls on it. And, you know, it, they've been really good, too. But one thing that I've noticed about certain calls is that everybody wants to see how everyone's doing. And that just that means a lot to me that theater people care about each other and want to know how people are doing. And um, sometimes I wonder about if you're not a theater person, does everyone else have that going on for them? I mean, yeah. my family's been doing those calls too, which is important. I know lots of people have been doing family Zoom calls, but uh, I just think that that I, I've been fortunate because a couple of theaters, well, really three theaters, have made an effort to, you know, reach out to me, see how I'm doing, let me know how they're doing, and let me see what other people, how they're doing. And that's really been, oh, you know, before, in the last time I was in a theater was, Mid-March, I had a reading uh, before, right before L.A. and California shut down, and yeah. literally the two days before, and um, that was the last time I was physically in a theater, and um, I'm really glad I got to have that reading because it's given me a lot of notes. I got a lot of notes from it I can work on during this time. Sure, so. yeah. I was lucky that way too, but that's it. That's all I've been doing. And now this Zoom reading, I'm very excited about getting a chance to see this play circular. It was um, last produced in San Francisco by Alter Theater a year ago. And uh, I rewrote it based on, you know, based on seeing the show and things I thought I could make better in it, just how I could make the script better. And so I'm very excited to be my first time to hear this draft of it on Sunday. So I'm nice. grateful for zoom readings yeah that, that, that'll be exciting that'll it'll be, be nice exciting. for me i'm very i'm very grateful for the opportunity for spooky action theater in dc thank you spooky action yay spooky action yay. <laughs> um this COVID thing has messed up everybody's lives it's rearranged things and it's altered and in in some cases closed a lot of the things that we used to do. I mean, theaters are part of it now. Gosh knows who's going to open and when they're going to open. Right. Um, and it's literally dangerous dangerous to go walking around on the street without the proper accoutrements, you know, masks and, and, and washing up afterwards and all that sort of thing. Um, and I know people who've been personally affected by this. Has anything like that happened to you? Where I know people... Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that no one I personally in my family or anything has got it yet. But I I know someone who knows two people who have died, and um, I know someone else who knows someone who died. My 
my mother had a teacher of one of her classes die. I mean, um, so, you know, I, I'm, you know, knock wood, but yes, it's a, it's affecting all of us. And I, I'm very concerned about, um, second and third waves. I'm not sure what they're the first wave. I'm not sure we are actually through a first wave yet. I, um, I know it's regionally different, but depending on where you are, but um, I just wish that we could continue to take precautions until we have tools that like vaccines and, and other yeah. things that can help us in terms of, or antibody, you know, right. treatments that can help us with it. I just very, very, I'm very worried about our country, to be honest. I, I, I think that yeah. people are being, I mean, I'm no moralist. But I think that there's a cavalier attitude that I've seen um, uh, in a few places. And I don't, I mean, I, I had to travel a couple of weeks ago, which I had just been sheltering in place at home. And then I had to travel. And uh, I was just kind of amazed seeing um, the way that, air, you know, in the couple of airports that there were people without masks and things like that. Yeah, I, it's... I, I don't understand that either. I mean, I'm I'm the person who errs totally on the side of, you know, let's keep it as safe as possible. If this is what they're telling us and everybody's this sick, especially with the numbers that we're seeing, which are astronomical. They it's, are. We, we simply have to take the most precautions we can and just wait this thing out. Yes, it's a massive inconvenience and true, you're not going to get your hair cut until August, but you know what? There are worse things in life. Well, Laura Shamus, thank you so very, very much. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Same to you, George. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, kids. Thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly and can be heard on WRFI Ithaca Community Radio 88.1 and 91.9 Watkins Glen. All of our shows are archived and can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. OnStage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual orientation, or gender. I'm George Sapio. Thanks once again for listening.